This is Dan Wharton Uncancelled. Let's go. Neil Oliver and Sharon Davies still to come, but first it's time for superstar US journalist Megan Kelly. Now, the bitter fallout is continuing following the US Supreme Court's bombshell decision to scrap the constitutional right to abortion. Uh, the ruling to overturn Roe v. Wade expected to lead to abortion bans in roughly half the states in the US is dividing America and the world. And predictably, very predictably, liberal celebrities are making it all about them. Make accessing that wisdom your life's work because everything depends on it the supreme court america and losing my citizenship So many women and so many girls are going to die because of this. And um, I wanted to dedicate this next song to the five members of the Supreme Court who have showed us that at the end of the day, they truly don't give a about freedom. Despite the hysteria, many European countries, including Italy, actually have stricter abortion laws uh, than most of the proposals on the table now in Republican-led states. So, Megan, as, as a former lawyer, a Supreme Court expert too. Uh, what did you make of this landmark ruling? Um, hi, Dan. So I, I thought the Supreme Court nailed it. And you can believe that whether you're pro-abortion rights or anti-abortion rights. Uh, Roe versus Wade and Casey versus Planned Parenthood, decided respectively in 1973 and 1992, were embarrassments. They were embarrassments as a legal matter. The, the support for the decisions wasn't there. And even prominent legal scholars over here agreed on that. Now, for the first 185 years of our country's existence, this was a matter that was left to the states. Shockingly, there's nothing about a right to abortion in our United States Constitution. And in 1973, the Supreme Court, which was an activist court, changed all that. And, and it is true that you can find fundamental rights, constitutional rights, even if they're not explicitly spelled out in our Constitution, they are considered implicit, but only when the right you're talking about has a long history in American tradition and culture. And as of 1973, there was no such right here. There was no tradition in America that favored abortion. In fact, for the vast majority of our country's history, abortion was illegal in virtually every single state including in, uh, in at the time Roe versus Wade was handed down, where it was unlawful in 30 of the 50 states. There was no tradition that was would have supported finding there was any implicit constitutional right. So what does that mean if it's not in the Constitution? It means it's up to the states, as it was for the first 185 years. So now it goes back where it belongs. And we're going to have to duke it out state by state on whether we think there should be no restrictions on abortion, entire restrictions from the moment of conception on abortion, or some middle ground where we maybe say, like the Mississippi law that it was at issue in this case, after 15 weeks, it's no longer okay. And that's how it's mm. going to be, and that's how it should be in a federalist society. Fascinating analysis. Uh, we saw all of those me, me, me celebrities there, Megan. It feels quite a lot like when Trump was elected. Oh, I'm, I'm going to leave the country. I'm going to revoke my citizenship. I mean, I would say, yeah, right. They're not going to, are they? This is all talk. Oh, please. I'll give each one of them $10,000 if they can name one Supreme Court justice. <laughs> Just one. 
You don't even have to tell me how he or she voted. Just name one, right? Not, none of them has read the decision. They don't know anything about federalism. They have no idea what Rover. Let's let's do a test for these celebrities. What right was was announced in Roe versus Wade that justified abortion rights? Okay, I'll wait. I'll, I'll wait. What was it? And how was that right changed in Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992? How did they abandon that first right? And what was the new right that they came up with to justify abortion rights? I'm going to wait. I'm just going to sit here quietly until I get a message from Olivia Rodrigo on what the an- they, they know nothing. Why are we even talking about these morons? Anybody who's listening to these stupid morons for their constitutional analysis deserves what they get, which is bubkiss in terms of any intellectual gra- gravitas or stimulation. OK, talk to people who actually have read the opinion, who have a legal background and who have a history of giving you the straight skinny despite their ideological bias. And you look look at people like Lawrence Tribe, professor at uh, at Harvard, who's cited by the U.S. Supreme Court in the decision a couple times. This is a lefty, an established, committed lefty, who from the moment Roe was decided has been saying, there's not really the legal basis for this. Uh, like, it would have been nice to have it, but like, we don't really have yeah, yeah, yeah. the basis for this. So that's the truth. And I understand the U.K. has pretty permissive rules when it comes to abortion. But at least in the U.K., you need two doctors to agree on whether you need an abortion at certain points in the pregnancy. Here in the United States, if you find out your baby's a boy instead of a girl and you want to abort it, you can. And there's basically no restriction on that, at least prior to last Friday, um, up to 20 plus weeks of pregnancy. I mean, it's it's really, really an outlier when it comes to abortion policy, or it was uh, until last Friday. We were classed with China and North Korea. All right. So now the states are going to be able to decide just how conservative they'll be. Abortion will not be outlawed in America. That's not happening. Uh, and while unfortunately women in places like Mississippi or Louisiana or elsewhere may have to travel across state, state lines now to get an abortion, though that's not entirely clear because there are abortion pills now that, that can be used depending on the circumstances. Um, that's true with a lot of things, Dan. You know, I mean, I voted with my feet just a couple years ago and left New York because their values were no longer aligned with my own. We, we all are forced to make choices like that in a society like America with 50 states governed by different rules. That's how our founders set it up. It's worked not perfectly, but pretty well for a long, long mm. time. Uh, Megan, can we just talk about the political ramifications of this? Because I've read a lot of analysis that this decision could actually be good for the Democrats at the midterm elections, where obviously they are facing uh, catastrophe at the polls because of uh, the disastrous Biden-Harris administration. Could this be good politically for the Democrats, Megan, get the vote out for them? Yes. Yes, I don't think there's really a lot of dispute around that. Um, I mean, I don't think it's going to be the driving issue. People are still very worried about the economy and the gas prices over here. But this Supreme Court, and to its credit, it's not supposed to be thinking about the political ramifications. Uh, But this Supreme Court just gave Democrats a reason to get to the polls and vote Democrat when they had very little before. I mean, Joe Biden's poll numbers are abysmal. They're still very angry in this country over the uh, oppressive COVID restrictions that these Democrats imposed upon us, even Democrats. But people care about some of these cultural issues, including abortion. And if they think we've got a right wing sort of out of control culturally 
Supreme Court, it may cause them to go to the polls and vote Democrat, even though they're not supportive of some of these policies. So sure, yeah, this is not a great thing for Republicans. And as the news cycle plays out over the next four months before the midterms, the media being very leftist is only going to cover stories of, uh, you know, a 14 year old girl who was raped who can't get an abortion in the state that she lives in, and not a report about um, a 17-year-old girl who had the baby she would otherwise have aborted and wound up extremely thankful that she didn't abort her child, right? So that all plays into it, too. I don't think this is a political win for Republicans or conservatives, but I don't think they really much care, Dan, because it's a battle they've been fighting from the heart for some 50 years now. Fascinating analysis as ever from Megan Kelly, top US journalist, host of the Megan Kelly Show, available on Sirius XM in the US as well as on YouTube and as a podcast too. Thank you, Megan. A first look at tomorrow's newspaper front pages soon. But first, Neil Oliver is tonight's outsider. Scheming Sturgeon has invoked Margaret Thatcher as she prepares to unveil her much-delayed and somewhat delusional plan for a second Scottish independence referendum tomorrow. Ahead of her announcement to the Scottish Parliament, the First Minister has accused Westminster of taking a, quote, wrecking ball to the idea of a United Kingdom, saying in a statement even previous Tory leaders from Margaret Thatcher to Theresa May said they believed the UK was based on the consent of the people who lived in its constituent nations. But can any Scot trust Sturgeon's claims? After all, she's been misleading the public on the so-called never end for the past five years, as this viral clip shows. I have a mandate to have, uh, give people the choice. Now, in 2017, you said autumn 2018 was the common sense time for another referendum. In autumn 2018, you said you'd set out your plans for an independence referendum in the not-too-distant future. The Scottish Government will, next week, publish the detailed democratic case to enable a referendum. <laughs> In autumn 2019, you said the referendum must happen next year. Um, in the second half of next September. year, not, uh, around about that time, yes. 2021, you said you'd start pushing for a referendum in spring 2022. When is going to be the right time? So, Neil, look, we've heard it all before from, from Sturgeon, haven't we? Oh, goodness, yes. I, 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 I've said many times before, it's it's because she's on that hamster wheel of uh, being a, a, a party with uh, a single issue. She exists, the SNP exists, to, to push for the breakup of uh, the union. Uh, so she's got no alternative, but it's, it's becoming increasingly ridiculous. In many ways, she makes me think of, you know, the famous Japanese soldiers, you know, lost in the jungle, you know, who were left, you know, fighting the war for 30, 40, 50 years after it was finished. Um, you know, it was the, the, the war was over in 2014. That was the high water mark. That was the referendum on Scottish independence. There was a resounding uh, victory for the, for the majority of Scottish people who, who said, as has always been the case, as always was the case, as always will be the case, that they want to remain part of the United Kingdom. Uh, but sh- the, the, the SNP have no alternative. They have no option but to continue to pretend that Anybody wants independence, and they are a minority 
party pushing a minority issue. And for the for most of us in Scotland, I, I can only begin to imagine how frustrating it must be for the rest of Britain to continue to listen to Nicola Sturgeon and her party uh, pretending that the majority of Scots want to break up the union because they don't. And so she has to do this tomorrow, doesn't she, Neil, to try and prove to her party that she has an action plan. But in reality, there's no plan for Indy Ref 2, is there? <clears throat> it's not going to happen. It's not It's not going to happen. There's no, there's no legal, uh, constitutionally legitimate way in which she can continue to pursue, to prosecute this war that she wants to wage. But, but you know, Dan, when I think about it, the truth is the world has changed in the last couple of years. <clears throat> uh, you know, we've all been through a, 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 <clears throat> you know, an, an undeniable shift. You know, there's been a kind of a, the, the tectonic plates have moved. Uh, there has been a, a paradigm shift. The world is a different place. And I think by next year, the world will be a very, very different place. People who are already struggling with the cost of um, lockdown, uh, that will only intensify. Uh, and as people are struggling to cope, to pay bills, to pay mortgages, to pay rent, to put food on the table, uh, you know, to uh, to stay in jobs, to stay in employment, all of the rest of it, in that atmosphere, which is inevitable, the last thing that anybody will want is the uh, is the upset of a, a referendum, and the very idea that the Scottish government, as has as has already been announced, that they would propose to spend tens of millions of taxpayers' money, because the only money that any government ever has is taxpayers' money, unless it's something that she's set aside from all the money that was funnelled up into Scotland, at, you know, for for furlough and all the rest of it, all the money that came from Westminster to, you know, you know, you know, to keep to keep Britain afloat during the lockdown and all the rest of it. The, the fact that people would have to look on at tens of millions of pounds of taxpayers' money being spent on the fetish campaign, the fetish campaign of, of, of a further referendum, it's delusional. People next year, this time next year, people will be struggling to stay afloat if they are afloat. And is that really the time for any responsible government that no. gives so much as a damn for the well-being of its population to push for something like a hugely catastrophically expensive division? I no. ask you. No, it, it's not. It's not. And, and uh, that is such an important point. Neil Oliver, thank you so much, of course. Uh, we'll bring you coverage of, of what Nicola Sturgeon says tomorrow. It'll be the sort of coverage you won't see anywhere in, in the Scottish media, by the way, which remains in her pocket. Neil, thank you so much. Thanks, Dan. But it's time now for Uncancelled. We're Britain's top commentators speech out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. 
Now another day, another biological female being thrashed in a competitive sport by a biological male. In the latest farce, 29-year-old trans woman Ricky Trey, who was born a male, beat 13-year-old Shiloh Katori to win first place in a women's skateboarding competition in New York. But the fight back is well and truly on, with our brave culture secretary Nadine Dorries set to urge British sporting bodies to follow the example of swimming's world governing body, FINA, and impose strict restrictions on the participation of transgender athletes. She'll plead her case when she meets them tomorrow, and writing in the Mail on Sunday, she declared, I'm setting a very clear line on this. Competitive women's sports must be reserved for people born of the female sex. Not someone who was born male, took puberty blockers or has suppressed testosterone, but unequivocally and unarguably someone who was born female. I want all of our sporting government bodies to follow that policy. Olympic diving champion Tom Daly, however, has weighed in on the other side of the argument, slamming FINA's decision. Speaking in an exclusive in the eye with our very own panellist Benjamin Butterworth, the athlete said, I was furious. Anyone that's told that they can't compete or can't do something they love just because of who they are, it's not on. It's something I feel really strongly about, giving trans people the chance to share their side. Well, joining me now to discuss this hot-button issue is women's rights activist and former great uh, British swimming champ, Sharon Davis, of course, an Olympic medalist herself. Now, Sharon, what, what did you make of, of these comments from Tom Daly? Well, I mean, as you've been saying all night, everyone is entitled to their comments. Tom made these comments at uh, Britain's LGBT Awards, so it's kind of obvious what he was going to say. He has a very strong activist husband who also is, has very strong opinions from this point of view. What I would say is that Tom is male and this does not affect him in the slightest. It doesn't affect males in the slightest. Transgender men, biological females who actually happen to carry on competing in the women's category because they wouldn't stand on earthlies competing in the men's category, don't don't cause any risk to men's sport whatsoever. So I think, you know, to be honest with you, we have to listen to the women. And FINA were the first governing body, would you believe, since 2015 to actually poll their female athletes and to listen to their female athletes and actually to listen to their coaches. 22,000 coaches, World Coaches Association from around the world, petitioned FINA and said, we want you to protect the female category. So well done, Nadine. Um, you know, I'm hoping very much now that the other sports will follow. And, you know, it, it's always been a, a ludicrous state of affair that, that, that males were allowed to have, continue to allow to have fair sport and women were expected just to shove over. I know, because you can't imagine that Tom's female diving teammate no. in, in Team GB <laughs> would share his stance. Because, of course, if they were competing against a trans female who had gone through male puberty, it clearly would be unfair. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's all about the the puberty advantage that you have, the strength, the speed, you know, and again, with diving, you know, it's very apparent, particularly with springboard and things like that. So and the bigger and the more, the more explosive the event, something like weightlifting at the Olympic Games, 30%, absolutely huge difference. Middle distance running, about 10%. And even if you can mitigate a little bit, it's still a huge percentage when people win gold medals by, you know, parts of a hundredth of a second, you know, the length of your fingernail. So it really isn't very fair. And, and I'm so pleased that we seem to be moving in the right direction at last. 
I think we are, Sharon, absolutely. What's interesting about Nadine Dorry's approach is that she wants to try and do this by consensus. I mean, I interviewed her on this a, a few weeks ago and she was opposed to the idea of legally doing something. But what happens, Sharon, if not all of the sporting bodies do agree to her stance? Um, good question. I think actually once a president is set and all of the science has been done and all the human rights lawyers have been um, been spoken to, you know, FINA have done their homework. They spend a very long time talking to lots of different people to make sure that their, their policy was bulletproof. And I think what the female athletes in the sports that don't decide to prioritise fairness need to do is to take them to court. Because at the end of the day, this is a form of sex discrimination. We can't change our biological sex. You know, and the whole reason why we have a women's category is to give an opportunity to females to win medals. That's why we have categories at all, to give people across society the biggest opportunity to be able to be successful in sport, whether that's Paralympics, whether that's weight categories in boxing, whether that's age categories. You know, that's the whole point of categories in sport. So I think if we, you know, if we don't get this opportunity, it is a form of sexual discrimination. So we need to do something very serious about it. But I think we will see that, you know, there'll be a lot of pressure on those governing bodies to follow suit and to actually prioritise fairness over inclusion. It's very wrong to say that, that trans athletes are not included, though. You know, one of the actual clauses that FINA has brought out is to do a workshop. It's a, a working group over the next six months about whether we create a third classification and how what that would look like and to get all the stakeholders involved and get everybody's opinions and ideas going forward. So, you know, this isn't about excluding anybody. And you've got to remember, if you're a transgender woman, if you're a male person, you've never been excluded from sport. You're only being no. excluded from the women's category. You're not being excluded from sport. Well, no, they can, they can continue to compete in the men's category. And I've seen that in team sports, Sharon. I, I'm a big supporter of women's netball. And I have seen men's netball team where they have trans women as part of the team because it's the only way for it to be fair. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, both at the NC2As earlier this year when we saw Leah Thomas win the women's events mm -hmm. and at the Olympic Games last year in Tokyo, transgender men, biological females, still opted to identify as the opposite sex, but to carry on and compete in the sex that they were born. So they still carry on competing in the women's classification. So maybe the inclusion needs to be for actual males to be more inclusive of people that are, you know, non-gender conforming in the way that they want to identify. You know, maybe this is where the word inclusion needs to be sort of exaggerated and, and you know, used properly. But no one has ever been excluded. I had um, a friend send me a text the other day, which really actually broke my heart. And she was talking about, at this time of year, primary schools doing sports days. And she said in her daughter's sports day, the school decided that they were going to run mixed sex races so that nobody was offended. And, you know, not one little girl won a race on that day at their sports day. Shame I'm on that sorry, school. I'm sorry, but that would break my heart. Shame on that school, honestly. Shame, Shame on, on that, that school. school. Not the only ones. you are doing is discouraging young girls to take part in sport at all. They're just going to think, Absolutely. why bother? I mean, it's just yeah. utterly even, ridiculous. Even if one little girl comes back, you know, and she, she's disheartened and, and doesn't want to be involved in sport yeah. again, um, you know, that's one too many, isn't it? You know, and, yeah, and, and it would be completely understandable that they're that not the only ones. Feel. No, no, they're definitely not the only ones. Sharon Davies, thank you for continuing to shine a spotlight on this very important issue. We'll keep in touch with you about it, of course.
Dan Wooden here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate, and review, and join me for more news-making interviews, fiery debate, and free speech on Dan Wooden tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News. <laughs>